Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends that are used for a variety of different conditions. There's a blend to help with painful periods, one for cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, one for infections like yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis. There's a moisturizing blend that can be especially useful in the postmenopausal phase. There's a postpartum specific blend for the time period after giving birth. And there is a strengthening blend that can be helpful for women that have spotting issues, either mid-cycle, before or after their period, um, or for women that have really heavy bleeding. Even with all of the information that I have on the shop, it could also be useful for you to consider setting up a consult with me for a little bit more guidance, and that is also available on the shop. So again, that is rosebudwellness.com shop. Welcome back, everybody, to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. I am here today with Leslie Abraham, and she is the owner of Bonjour Baby. She's a French osteopath and a perinatal recovery coach and a fellow podcaster, and her podcast is also called Bonjour Baby. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me on your show today, Holly. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and also at some point I was on your podcast and at some point I'll be sharing that with, with all of you too. So have that to look forward to, uh, but we'll be focusing on Leslie's experience today. Um, so we'll start at the beginning when you first got your period, how old you were, what you thought about it, what the conversation was around you and your family, friends at school, yeah, anywhere you want to go with that. Absolutely. So I really had to kind of, you know, um, to try hard and remember because it's it's really funny it's not something that I remember really well so I was trying to you know put the pieces back together and try to think about what I was thinking and and I think it didn't you know leave me like this huge memory because I was well prepared for it um, because the, the conversation was already here in my family. Uh, I remember when my first friend had her period, I remember my mom uh, telling her, congratulations, you know, now you're a woman. And that's something that stuck with me. And I was like, oh, okay, so this means that it's like kind of a, a passage or, you know, something that you have to do in your life. So I was kind of, you know, envisioning it for myself being like that. So I didn't fear it. I didn't have any fears. And my mom really explained me, you know, everything that will happen that, you know, if I have that happening at school, I have to use a pad and everything. So I was prepared. I had like everything with me. And as far as I can remember, I think it happened when I was at home, which was super convenient. Um, I mean, I was pretty lucky for that. And so I went to my mom, I told her she was happy for me, you know, everybody in the family, I had a big brother and my father, everybody was, you know, happy, it was like something happening, and I was just growing up. And that was, you know, part of life. So it was kind of a happy moment uh, with my grandmothers uh, as well. I think I was 14 or 15. So for some, it's, it's kind of pretty late, but that's how it happened to me. And so from the very first you know, time I had my parent, I don't have any specific memories, but I remember moving forward that it was kind of not uh, regular at all, but, you know, with the first cycles, it kind of always happens. So it wasn't very regular. I had some pain, but not like big pain like I can have now. I remember some of my friends at that time, they had to stay home and everything when they were on the first day of the cycle. It, that wasn't my case. 
Um, but at that time, this is also when I started to have more and more migraines. I had my first migraine when I was 10. I remember that woke up me up in the middle of the night and I thought I was about to, to, to die. Like really, it was so painful. I remember calling my mom and telling her, I think I'm going to die. And she was like, no, you're not. Uh, unfortunately you have the same thing that I have and your grandmother have. Um, and so from that time when I had my period, the migrants were more frequent. So that was something that was part of my cycle as well. So um, would you have them sort of premenstrually or at ovulation, or was there a specific time of your cycle or it was so, just something you noticed once you went through puberty that they yeah. happened more frequently? It's it's more that uh, okay. at, at that time, I didn't really pay attention, you know, when it was in my cycle and we didn't have that, you know, kind of knowledge at the time. Um, my OBGYN never mentioned that. And I wasn't even I think I, I saw the OBGYN the first time I was 16 and I don't think I mentioned that to her. So she didn't know about it, but um, I didn't pay attention. I paid more attention to it when I was about like 17 or 18, like two, three years later, when it was coming back, you know, like more frequently. And I think I was under more stress. So it was kind of triggering. And so it was always more at the end of my cycle. Like I was done with the bleeding parts of it. So not at the end of the very beginning, but at the end of my period. And so I was done with the bleeding and then the migraine started. It was always kind of that pattern. Um, so that was really something that stuck with me. And then around my 18, 19s, pain was beginning to be in the picture as well. So the, the first or second day was very painful. And that was one of the reasons why I went on the birth control at first. So you mean painful in terms of cramps? In terms of cramps, absolutely. Yes. And that was focused in your lower abdomen or did you yes. have in your back or, in, yeah, okay. Yeah, lower abdomen reflecting on my back, uh, especially when I was in my twenties uh, where I was really more aware of my body because of my profession. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really, I was really feeling like the pulling of the ligaments around the uterus all the way to my SI joints. That mm -hmm. really something that stuck with me. The feeling of having very heavy legs was something also that was uh, very, um, uh, uh, that I was really feeling and experiencing at that time. Um, and it's funny because as I'm thinking about it, it, it has really evolved, you know, throughout the years. Um, doesn't look the same now, but, um, but yeah, that was, you know, most of the symptoms I was experiencing at that time, being a teenager in the first years of, you know, my, my cycle were, were looking like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing that you mentioned was that when you, you had an awareness and I'm not sure if you have this awareness only now, or if it was something that you knew about at the time and your mom knew about, um, that cycles are irregular in the beginning. So a lot of, I know a lot of people and myself included are prescribed the birth control to regulate your cycles, which I think everybody that listens to my podcast already knows that that's complete and utter bullshit, but, um, <laughs> but they, it, it's kind of like an overreaction. It's like when you first get your period, they're like, oh, you only get your period every three months. Let's put you on the pill to regulate that. Yeah. But if the little girl, the young woman was given an opportunity to let her body kind of do its thing naturally, everything sort of sorts itself out. So anyway, that was a really long way of asking you the question of, was that something that your mom was aware of at the time? Because you're not somebody that was put on the pill immediately yeah. um, because of your regular cycle. So was your mom aware and told you it'll, it'll figure itself out? Or is that something that you later learned? Uh, that's something that I later learned, okay. uh, to be truly honest with you. The reason I went on the pill were, was to help with the pain. Uh, that was the number th number one thing. At that time, I started to have a bit of acne. So that was, you know, the other um, uh, reason why. And to kind of, yeah, also have it more regular, definitely. And and But the, 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 the reason that was number one was the pain at the time. And so my mom was like, okay, let's help you with that. And it's the, the OBGYN. And, you know, the uh, solution that was offered was 
the peel, of course. And is that something that she experienced also? She had a lot of pain and did she use birth control for that yes. purpose as well? Yeah, Absolutely. I remember, you know, her telling me that <laughs> at the time, um, I think her father didn't know that she was taking the pill, but it was to help her with, you know, cramps and everything. Um, but only her mother was, I mean, we have to look back. It was like in the, you know, 60s or whatever. So, uh, you know, the pill was at just the beginning and it yeah. was meaning so many things for for men at the time but not like helping with symptoms that uh <laughs> he didn't know about that which i found really funny but yeah. uh but yeah so she, of course she wanted me to to feel better so she saw that it was you know the the, the solution and the doctors say that it was the solution so, right so. yeah and so tell us about that experience did you have any side effects when you were taking birth control what did that look like for you yeah, the first years were okay. You know, I was feeling like a lot of young women, like in control. I was able to skip, you know, a month if I wanted to skip a month, which was super convenient when you're on vacation or you name it. So I was feeling in control, you know, at first it was kind of, oh yeah, this is so great, you know. Um, but as for the pain, it made it a bit better, not that much. Uh, I didn't really see, you know, like a huge difference. My flow was uh, less than what it was without the pill, that's for sure. Uh, acne went away, which was a good thing for me at the time. Um, it didn't do anything for my migraines. They were still here at the end of the bleeding. Um, I, I started- make them, Sorry to interrupt, but it, did it make them worse at all? Um, not right away, you know, as I, as I evolved through age, they went worse, but I mean, there are so many factors with migraines that I can only blame the pill. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's such an intricate, you know, thing. And I've learned that through my profession that you have so many causes with that, that you can't just like, you know, pinpoint one, mm -hmm. but it didn't do anything. Was it making worse? I don't really know. I can't tell you uh, because I think it was, it has more to do with gut health for my specific case than anything else. Um, and one thing that was really here because when I was in high school, I was super active. I was a dancer. I was dancing a lot of hours per week. Um, and so I went on the pill. I remember I was 18th. And from that time, I started to gain a lot of weight. Like, you know, and it wasn't something usual for me. I wasn't like overweight or anything, but for me, it was a lot of weight. Um, and that's something that stuck with me. I wasn't able to go back to my weight, whatever exercise I was doing, or, or I really had to really work hard and watch my nutrition a lot to be able to go back to the weight I was before the pill. And it's not who I am. <laughs> it was too much work for me. <laughs> and I really dislike, you know, kind of, um, and at the time restricting my calories and whatever. Now I don't think that way anymore, but at the time I didn't like that at all. Um, so I kind of just put up with it. I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's the way it is. Um, a lot of fatigue as well. I remember being um, really drained out a lot. That was something that I was experiencing. And I think maybe a bit of anxiety now that I look back, uh, maybe this was, you know, causing more anxiety. And it was at a specific time of my cycle as well that I was able to see that. I would say one week prior to getting my bleeding was a week where I was I was experiencing a lot of self-doubt and anxiety more than usual, I would say. Mm -hmm. And I can really attribute that to the pill because now that I'm off it for a long time, I don't have this kind of symptoms anymore, like pre the like kind of PMS. Um, I was experiencing it until I did some lifestyle changes, I would say um, not so long ago, but not as much as when I was on the pill. And so how long were you on the pill for? For a long time, for yeah. really a long time. Um, up, so I'll say I started around my 18th and I went sometimes like on and off, like when I was like around 22, 25, uh, I, I started to wanted to try without it and see how I was feeling, but I was convinced every time to go back to it uh, from my doctor. 
Um, so I listened to her and I did that. And at one point, this is where all the side effects were kind of really getting in my way. And I was beginning to experience uh, vaginal dryness, which was really painful during intercourse. Um, a lot of um, urinary um how do you call that? Uh, urinary infections, uh, like coming back uh, time and time over, hair loss that was kind of getting out of control. And at one time I, I looked back and I was like, I think I just have to get off the pill. Really the vaginal dryness was something that was hard to, to put up with. And Did you specifically know at that time, like these symptoms are caused by the birth control pill? No, I just had an, an idea. You had a, an, like yeah. an intuition about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It, it was cool. just, and, and because I have that kind of, you know, my osteopathic background, so I'm able to, you know, kind of connect the dots and we don't have like any specific, um, I would say um, we have education around, of course, the, um, the, the urinary system and, and the reproductive system, of course, because we are treating it, but we don't have this kind of education with the peel and the side effects and that kind of thing we didn't have. Just that I, I had this intuition that maybe if I stop, this would get better. And so I started researching and I saw that this could be a side effect. So I was like, and I was with my husband for a long time. I was like, okay, let's just try, you know, we, we, we just do differently. And the moment that I stopped it, I think like the months after or two months after, even the months after or in the weeks, it was in terms of weeks, I believe, like uh, the, the vaginal dryness went away. And that was the main thing for me. And I didn't have any urinary infection anymore. So I didn't have to take all those, you know, uh, medication. And, and, and I was like feeling better again. Like, you know, so of course my cycle were all over the place for a few months, but at least uh, I, I wasn't experiencing those physical symptoms that were really, you know, uncomfortable. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then when you would go off of the pill, and then you would go and see your doctor again. And you mentioned that she would urge you to go back on. What was the reasoning for that? Was it mostly because of your cramps or was it because she was concerned that you would get pregnant or what was? No, it, it wasn't about pregnancy. It was about the cramps. It was about the migraines. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention at one point, she had me take the pill uh, back to back. So no interruption at all, just to see if it would improve for my migraines didn't do anything and at the time uh so i was taking so my 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 pill back to back no 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 rest in between and so i started to have uh bleeding like out of the blue and uh, i remember going to another doctor trying to see if there was something going on so she did like an ultrasound and everything and everything was fine and she just explained me that it wasn't, you know, the best way to do things, um, to take, you know, the pill back to back, that uh, my body was, you know, um, needing a rest. And that wasn't something that my previous doctor wasn't explaining me. So kind of, you know, trying, beginning to open my eyes and, and, and kind of question that maybe, you know, the way I was doing things wasn't the best for my body and my health. Um, and so keeping that in mind, that's when all the symptoms started that I thought about it and was like, maybe I, I need to stop taking it for a while. And since then I never took it again and I will never take it again. <laughs> yeah. And so how is your cramping and when you get your period, what is that like? And you mentioned that you made some lifestyle changes. So you can talk about maybe like the trajectory of, you know, when you first came off the pill and what sort of changes you've implemented and how you've seen that shift your cycle and uh, in terms of pain and then also the migraines, if it's affected that at all, but absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So when I went off it, uh, of course, a lot of acne came back. That was really, and I'm still struggling with that. It's still something that I'm trying to have under control and it's getting better. Uh, but that's, that was the worst thing for me. Um, to experience in terms of cramping that was manageable that wasn't worse than you know with the pill at first um, and I would say my cycle began to be regular again I mean regular yes and no I was kind of in that frame of 28 to 32 but not very consistent um, and at one point 
this is where it's the beginning of a new journey for me. We were in vacation. We were going to Spain. We were in the car. And so I was expecting to be on my period anytime soon. So that happened. So I was prepared for it. No big deal. But I remember we just switched and I just like, you know, let my husband drive again. And so I went on the passenger seat and all of a sudden I experienced the worst cramping ever. I was like tearing and I was like, I don't understand what's happening. It is so painful. I never experienced that. I took ibuprofen, didn't do anything. I really had to wait for a long time for it to kind of subside and, and ease and, and feel a bit better. And um, it was just like, you know, uh, like I just understood that something was happening at that time. Um, and so I linked that to having some bowel issues, like I was super constipated because with, I mean, I, I live in LA and I went back to see my family. So it's a long trip and, you know, like all those flights, they can really mess you up with your uh, gut health and your bowel movement and everything. So I attributed that to, to this and the change of food and everything. And so I really, you know, worked hard on my nutrition over there, like light thing and everything went back to normal. And so I didn't think much about it. And that was a mistake because I was like, oh, maybe that was just like, you know, one, one time. And after that, the cycle were okay. Um, not super consistent. The cramping was there, but not as much as. And a few months after, remember, I came back to France again. And so came back to LA and I started to have like a pain on my left side, like at any time in my cycle, not related to ovulation or not related to uh, having my bleeding. And so I started to, to see someone to help me with gut health. And we worked on that and it improved because I was diagnosed with SIBO in the midtime. So we worked on that naturally and it helped a lot. But still a few months after, I still have this kind of pain here. And so I went to see my gynecologist for, you know, just my well woman uh, appointment, uh, mentioned that to her. She um, did an assessment and she felt something and she was like, oh, it feels like you have fibroid. I was like, oh, nice, super nice. And uh, we did an ultrasound and it wasn't fibroid. It was a very big cyst that was um, even larger than my uterus on my left ovary. And so my ovary was displaced because of it. So of course I went through third surgery. And so when they did the surgery, um, they saw that it was um, an, a chocolate cyst, so endometriosis cyst. And so that's where I had the diagnosis of endometriosis. Wait, you said you had three surgeries? Just one. Oh, I, yeah. I misunderstood that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay, this was the surgery. You went yes. in for surgery, found a chocolate cyst, and a Got it. Absolutely. When was this? It was uh, last summer, so not okay, so long ago. Pretty though. recently, yeah. Absolutely. And it kind of explained, you know, a lot of the symptoms that I was experiencing for so long. Um, maybe it has been there for years and, you know, I didn't know. Um, I just, you know, put up with it. And we are so much told that uh, cramping and this is normal. This is part of our cycle that we don't even think about it, which is super sad. Uh, I feel now that I know everything that I know that now that I started making some research on how to help, you know, with endometriosis without taking the pill or any hormonal, you know, kind of treatment because I didn't want that. Um, and I really had to go down to the road of educating myself again, you know, on all of that. Well, and this is such a, yeah, I, I, I want to say a great example, but that's not really what I mean, but it, this is the issue with the prescribing the birth control pill when there's, when it's just for pain, women really need to understand that there is a reason that there's pain. And if you just put a bandaid over it, which is what the pill is doing, or even taking pain medication, just putting Mm -hmm. a bandaid over it, then it's just kind of doing its thing and getting progressively worse as time goes by. And then also the synthetic hormones can make it worse as well. Um, So actually it would be better to just be taking pain medication than taking the birth control pill. Um, But yeah, then you only years later are able to identify exactly what the cause of it is and can start implementing some other lifestyle changes to help get to the root cause, but it has taken 
that much time of your life away from you that you could have been working on it with more natural. Absolutely. Anyway, so um, it sounds like you have started implementing some some new lifestyle type things. Um, so if you would like to share about what you've been doing, yeah. I'd love to hear yeah. about that. Yeah, of course. So I'm like a, a, a very... Uh, studious person of course <laughs> from my background I love studying so I went back to the books and you know read so many things and articles and and, and research studies on, on that and so that's where I saw the link between you know nutrition endometriosis and gut health and endometriosis so gut health is under control thank god because I did the work you know you know ahead of time like even before being diagnosed with it I mean even though I, I believe I had endometriosis for a very long time, but wasn't aware of it. Um, and so the, the new big thing for me for a couple of months now is really working on nutrition. So really working on um, uh, decreasing the amount of sugar that I eat, uh, making better choices when it comes um, to carbs and, you know, reducing the portion in, on my plate, having so much more uh, veggies and just like a, as a word here, my diet always has been very healthy. I cooked everything. I, we all was never go to the restaurant and, and I was raised in that, you know, French culture where we love food, we honor it, we, we cook it, we cook it and we, we have balanced uh, plates. So it's not that I was, you know, eating super bad. It's just that the balance wasn't the right one for, for me and maybe a bit too much sugar. And sometimes we don't realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, switching the breakfast from this kind of very French breakfast which is um, you know bread with butter and maybe like anything else on top uh, to something very savory with you know sweet potatoes spinach or whatever I have you know and an egg and and you know avocado so adding a lot uh, more of uh, good fats to my diet also that's something that I'm working on um, you know so limiting gluten because I know for me it's like a trigger uh, when I have too much gluten and especially low quality gluten it can trigger a flare up I feel it gluten, right away gluten from America you mean absolutely I do mean <laughs> yeah. gluten from America <laughs> yeah it's it's wild it's it's totally different in different countries so it is yeah and, and as European, I mean, I have had this discussion with so many doctors that work in the gut health, you know, uh, field, and they are seeing so many Europeans like me coming to the US and eating, you know, the American food, and we are all feeling sick. So it's not like, you know, I'm making up things, you know, doctors are saying that because they are seeing it. So it's just like our system doesn't process it the same way because we weren't, you know, raised with that kind of quality of food. So we don't digest it as all, at all and it makes us sick. So yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, gluten is a thing. Sugar is definitely a thing. Uh, dairy, but dairy, it's been a while that anyway, I'm not, even when I was a kid, I wasn't doing well on dairies. So like any kind of um, uh, like goat milk or whatever can, can work, but I'm not a fan of milk. A2 milk is something that is saving my life, especially when I'm cooking. Uh, that I, and I like to do, you know, like dressing or sauce or whatever with that. And I'm using A2 milk and does you know change everything so that's that's mostly what I'm doing as far as for nutrition as far as for movement it's something that I'm still working on because when I have my flare-ups moving is something very hard um, and even wanting to go just you know for a walk can be hard sometimes mm -hmm. um, and then resting a bit more during especially on the first day of my period that's something I experienced experienced uh, with um, this month and it does change the whole thing means less fatigue uh, especially on that week of the bleeding I'm like completely exhausted and by taking the first day off, it is changing the whole game, definitely. Working on bedtime routine as well is something that helps me a lot. And really kind of thinking about how I work as well, kind of being able to decrease the stress, decrease that cortisol level, and, you know, working on it, um, taking a step back when I feel overwhelmed or whatever, just like taking a couple of breaths and then, okay, analyzing what I can and can't do and, you know, working on that. So it, it's a whole different way of living, of eating, of sleeping, of everything for me. 
but and it's been I've, I have implemented um, implemented sorry all those changes I would say beginning of December so we are now as we speak mid-February and I'm beginning to see some things moving in how I feel in how my bleeding is like the flow seems to be less heavy less clots um, as far as for flare-ups I'm beginning to make connections so I believe in the next months I will be and I will feel more empowered with that so I'm hoping that it will, you know, still go in the right direction. But from what I see already, it is already making a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. And have you done any other sort of like treatments at all? Um, like Nothing. body work type things? So body work type thing, I do it on my own <laughs> because that's what I do. Yeah. So yeah, I do that. Uh, and especially after a surgery, if anyone has the type of surgery that I had, I truly encourage you to, to see like a craniosacral therapist or someone that works on the organs like you do. I know you do that as well because it does make a whole difference and especially working on the fascia and stuff that's something mandatory to do after a surgery and so I do it on myself um, I'm just dying to go back to France right now to be able to see my osteopath and have some work done on myself um, because that's really something that I'm missing and I know it changes the, the, the whole game for me so that's what sort of body work do you do is it is it a type of massage or how so it's yeah, it, I mean, when you experience it, you can describe it as a massage, but it's not massage at all. Um, it's about, so what we do, we assess all the organs. So we see how they move. So we assess their mobility. We assess the motility of all the organs as well. So we work on the ligaments around it, on the fascia around it. Um, and, and we feel like there is a type of movement that is like kind of, uh, uh, would say inside of each uh, organs to simplify that we are able to feel as a still path. And we want to make sure that we are still able to feel that. Sometimes it is, it is disrupted. And when we have this disruption, it means that there is something that is kind of uh, blocking it kind of. So we can look at the structure. So working on the structure, and usually when we do that, we work on the ligaments, the fascia, as I said. And so after our work, and we work holistically on the body, meaning we work on organs, but we also work on the sacrum and on the vertebra, but we work also on the cranium. We work on so many pieces together. And so at the end of that work, we reassess everything. And this is where we feel that kind of nice flow of energy again on the organs and in the full body. And when we do that, when we're able to reestablish that, uh, usually the function gets better as well. In osteopathy, we, we start from a saying that says that structure governs function. So that's exactly what we are doing. We are always kind of working on mobility at all levels to reestablish the proper function of the whole body. Wow, that sounds very similar to acupuncture. <laughs> Absolutely, it yes. is very, yeah. very similar. We we use a bit of Chinese medicine in how we work as well. We understand the meridians. We make the connections with the organs and what it means in terms of feelings as well that um, you know our clients can be experiencing. So there are definitely uh, some connection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and so pro probably it. I mean, people ask me all the time, like, do you do acupuncture to yourself? And I do, um, but it's definitely not the same as receiving. So I, that's probably been your experience, which is Absolutely. why you're, you're looking forward to going to see. Yeah, your I was even telling my husband the other, the other day, uh, I have to teach you how to do that so you can do it to me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because I, I was I, my body knew that I needed that and I was like okay there's no way I'm just going to teach you and you do it and after that we're done <laughs> yeah yeah that's good um so I'm interested in how your personal experience has sort of guided you to work in the perinatal realm in particular yeah so it doesn't really have to do with my personal experience, which is uh, surprising, but it has always been something I was truly attracted to. Um, you know, working with kids and so working from the very beginning during the pregnancy was always something to me that was 
um, really a true passion. And this is how I find meaning in everything that I do. Uh, work, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, but working on men that comes to me because they have lower back pain, it's not something that truly uh, resonates with me and that I don't like doing. Mm-hmm. Working on, on women that are experiencing, uh, you know, pregnancy and postpartum and even women that have, you know, um, hormonal health issues like I do and that are not mom, it's a true passion like, for me. It is really something that animates me and, 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 and it makes me a whole kind of in this life. So I truly believe that I was meant to do that in a way that it was my calling <laughs> kind of. So that's what I do. Um, what I do. Um, and, and yeah. And so, and when I came to the U S this is where it started with, uh, my postpartum recovery coaching business because I was working with pregnant and postpartum ladies already in France and in Canada as an osteopath. And so when I came here, I wasn't able to use my degree to work as such. So I became an exercise specialist and a health coach. And I I wanted to go back to work with that type of client. So that's what I did. And so here, of course, you know, with my experience in my own practice, I was, you know, beginning to ask questions about pelvic floor recovery and C-section recovery. So what was their plan? You know, did they have any appointment with uh, a PT for pelvic floor recovery? And, you know, every time they were looking at me, like, what are you even talking about? You know, like nobody mentioned that to me. So this is where I began to find it very interesting that, um, it's not something that they were talked about too much, you know, and even when they went to their doctor, when I was telling them, oh, it seems like you have diastasis recti, try to have maybe, you know, on top of what we're doing, some sessions with UPT. The, a lot of my clients are telling me that when they say that to the doctor, they are telling them that let's just wait and see, you know, let's wait a couple of months and let's see if it heals by itself. And then if it doesn't, we can think about, surgery of course which isn't you know we don't have to get surgery for all the SSS recti absolutely not most of them can be healed through uh proper exercise and proper breathing and PT as well so this is exactly when I started to to see an opportunity and create Bonjour Baby and started you know helping women in that time in the pregnancy time and in the postpartum time to prepare their body for birth, but also to to heal heal them just right after giving birth and be able to take back control of their health because it means taking back control of your body and it means taking back control of your life and meeting yourself as as a new mom in that new chapter of life. That's awesome. My uh, daughter has just joined me. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, I would love if you can talk about, do you work mostly virtually with people or do you do in-person stuff too? I do both. I do both. I work virtually so online through uh, Zoom for my clients that are not locals. Um, that works well. That works very well. We can do all the assessment together. And so it's really follow along session. So I'm showing them the exercise. They are perfecting them and I can correct them down the line as well. And I do work locally as well. Um, so one-on-one with clients um, in real life, <laughs> not online. Uh, and this is this is lovely as well, of course. Um, and I do have um, what I call a group coaching program coming up at the end of the month. Uh, those are um, pre-recorded videos, but we still have like group calls uh, to talk about what they're experiencing and if they have any difficulties with the exercise. And I can, and I always take the time one-on-one to um, pinpoint what kind of exercises they should be really working on depending on their case because I like personalizing everything but I understand that a full personalized program isn't um, affordable for everyone so that's a way of having like an in-between and still have that support um, without the added cost of the one-on-one. So the group program is it targeted to any like pregnant woman, postpartum woman, or anybody in particular, or just sort of anybody that wants some support? 
postpartum, postpartum recovery. It is. Okay, yes, got it. absolutely. Okay. And it means weeks, it means months, it means even years after if you didn't go through that kind of proper, proper um, postpartum recovery programs, that this is exactly where you should start before, you know, hitting the gym or going to your favorite Zumba class or spinning class or whatever kind of exercise routine you like doing. Because we have to really take the time to heal everything and there is an order to follow. So if, if, you ju- if what you do is just like, you know, watching YouTube videos, unfortunately, you're missing the one big piece, which is following the right order and, and taking, you know, care of recovery step by step by step. And there are so many pieces that work together that when we skip one, we are missing on something. And this is where we see women that are not really able to close their diastasis recti are not really healing it and they keep that weakness or it comes back um, after they saw that it was healed. Um, same thing for, for, for weight loss as well, when we don't take things in the right order. And when we don't think about weight loss, like, about um, the way that we should think about it, which is nourishing the body, not restricting calories, this is where we saw also women plateauing in the postpartum time, something I see a lot. And you mentioned specifically C-section, and for some reason, this keeps popping up in my life recently, mm-hmm. where women are talking about the the scar and even the areas around the scar feeling numb and I some women have said is that something that just is like that forever is that something that you work on in particular like getting circulation back into that area where you've been able to have a woman feel numb and then be able to have sensation again or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. In my practice, that was something that I was doing, um, you know, and that's really funny because even some women, when you, so when you do the first, you know, um, appointment together, you ask tons of questions about your health history. And so, you know, some women, they come to me years after giving birth and um, they don't even mention that they had a C-section. And then, uh, especially in France, when we work on our patients, they are just in their underwear. So I was able to see, you know, the scar from the C-section. I was like, oh, you didn't mention to me, it was a C-section. And oh yeah, but you know, I don't really feel that area anymore. It's very numb and I can't touch it. That's something that I heard a lot. I'm not even able to touch it because especially when it was an emergency C-section, there is a lot of trauma linked to it. Um, And so it's very important to understand that we have to reappropriate this area of our body because you should be able to touch it. I mean, there's no reason why. Uh, It means that something is unprocessed uh, and, and you're still not at peace with it. And it's very important to be able to honor, you know, all the parts of our body. And this one is one. Uh, and, and so, yeah, so working on it. So we work on the fascia, we work on some massage around it and just working on the organs just below it uh, helps to also bring more blood flow and everything. So it helps with healing. It doesn't really help with the appearance of the scar when it's done years after, but it helps with the sensation and it helps with any kind of adhesions that you can have on the fascia. So you have less numbness, less pain. Uh, you feel better when you touch that area of your body you and I have a lot of women coming to me for hip pain or even pain during intercourse and we were working on the scar because that was one of the cause of the issues um, that was triggering also uh, pelvic floor dysfunction so we were working on what I call like kind of a mirroring kind of technique so you have one hand on the pelvic floor and one hand on the scar and you kind of assess how they work um, each with with each other and so you can uh, balance that um, and we have tremendous results when we do that. It, it's really helping a lot. So I, I really encourage you, like if you're in the US, you have ton of um, fascia therapists and they can really work with that. Some PTs are doing that kind of work as well. So that's with my clients, when they come to me after a C-section, I ask them to take an appointment with that kind of professional. It is so important. Again, what about, um, you mentioned pelvic PT, So that's something that you kind of have some people that you can recommend. Um, How do you suggest for people to find somebody like that? So first, uh, you want someone that is specialized in pelvic floor PT. Not all PT are doing pelvic floor. So it's important to have that specialization. Um, and I believe there are some websites where you can find locally. uh, Yeah, you know, I I asked that and I I think I have 
um, there, it's a national thing. So internationally, I, I'm not really sure, but, um, nationally, because you work online, you know, you're not working with people only in the Los Angeles area. Um, Absolutely. So, so yeah, if I can find that, I'll link it in the show notes if anybody's interested, but so for pelvic PT, what are some things that you would see women struggling with that would make you think, you, sh- you ought to go see a pelvic PT, or do you think that that's something that should just be common practice for anybody that's had a vaginal yeah. birth or maybe even not vaginal? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Second part of your question. It is something that every woman should be doing regardless of the type of birth. And this is something very important to, to understand because sometimes we think that um, because we had a C-section, we don't need pelvic floor PT, but you do because you were pregnant for nine months and it means a lot of changes and pressure applied to your pelvic floor. So you need to work on it. And let's say you had a C-section that wasn't planned. You most likely went through the first part of labor. So it has done, maybe you tried even to push and it didn't, you know, nothing happened. Um, so it has some effect on your pelvic floor. So you still need to see someone. And anyway, just the pregnancy alone is doing so many things on, you know, the, 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 the muscle by itself, but the pressure also. So it can do some da- damage. Maybe your pelvic floor is too weak. Maybe it is too tonic, what we call hypertonicity. That's something very important as well. You can be left with uh, leaks after giving birth. And this is not a perk of motherhood. I just want to put that out there too i see that so many times on social media women seeing that well you know when your mom when you sneeze and you pee yourself absolutely i know i know that i see that all the time and it makes me so sad or like people trying to be funny like um there's this one uh reel that i've seen a lot that it's like to this song like because of you and it's like has the kid and it's like why why do you pee your pants at or something like that. Why do you pee yeah. your pants every time you cough or sneeze or pick anything up or jump? And it's like, because of you. And yeah, that makes me so sad that women have just accepted that. And it's like comical or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways. So public oh. PT, I will, I will try to find that. Yeah, there is, um, I'm part of, uh, it's a directory, it's called Robin, we are Robin. And so you have so many different uh, professionals on that, and it's nationwide. So it's interesting to have a look to it. I think it's free for users anyways. Um, they also have like a, a text-based support from doulas. That's interesting, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I really like them and they have, there, there are a ton of pelvic floor PT on that. So that's a good place to, to start with and, and to look at. Cool. Yeah, I will. I'll link that. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's see anything else that you wanted to mention about your work and how you work with people. Absolutely. So absolutely. So what I specialize uh, on, sorry about that. (laughs) Can you hear it? Okay. So what I specialize on is uh, diastasis recti for for the most part of it. So really abdominal recovery and learning how to exercise uh, to protect your pelvic floor. Can you just describe what that is for those that maybe don't know about that? Yes, absolutely. So diastasis recti, it's it's something normal that is happening during pregnancy. I I just want to say that it doesn't mean that because it is normal, you shouldn't be doing nothing about it when you are not pregnant anymore. But that's a physiological um, thing that is happening where the uterus is growing up and forward. So it's pushing against the abdominal wall. And so your muscle that we call the six pack muscle. So the erectus abdominis, they are being lengthened by about 15 centimeters, I think by the six or seven months of pregnancy. So they're really being lengthened and so weakened at the same time. And uh, it's pushing forward against the abdominal wall. So we have a separation happening between those two muscles at the midline, what we call the linea alba. And so we have a weakness here. And so when you're not pregnant anymore, those muscles, they are still long. This is why uh, posture is so important to uh, be able to help 
with that recovery. So it's still long. And some women have like a bulging or coning when they do like a sit up or a crunch. They kind of see that kind of coning happening at their midline. And this is usually a sign that you have diastasis recti. Mm -hmm. You can assess that at home um, uh, on my YouTube channel. And I can give you the link. I have a video to show you how to assess this at home. And usually when you have a gap that is wider than two fingers, we say that you have uh, diastasis recti. But what matters the most, more than the gap, is the, the quality of the tissue underneath your fingers. So when you do that, do you feel like any kind of resistance? So the tissues are kind of springy, or do you feel like there's no resistance at all? You can really go down, uh, so it's super squishy. Usually this is what, what we call dysfunctional diastasis recti. So we really have to work hard to make that deeper layer of your core muscles to work to re-establish re that kind of uh, core function and integrity of the abdominal wall. So that's really my area of specialty. And, and so I work on that with specific breathing exercises where we do active, activate that uh, deepest layer of the core. And what matters also, and we don't talk about it too much, is where your diastasis recti is located. Is it above the umbilicus? Is it down the umbilicus? Because from where it is, is we will activate differently the muscles to work on that. So if it's upper, we will work more on bringing the, the, the lower ribs together and really working on that upper part of your core muscles. If it's down the umbilicus, we will work more on the lower part. And so bringing your hip bones together, your iliac bones together. So that's something very important to understand because that's not something a lot of people are talking about, but it is very relevant to healing diastasis recti. And so when we do that, we also learn how to manage the, what we call the intra-abdominal pressure. So the pressure that is building up inside of your belly uh, to avoid pushing against the abdominal wall, makes sense. Otherwise it gets just weaker and weaker, but also down on the pelvic floor that can also create more issues down the line. So we work on that. We work on posture a lot imagine when you're standing up and you're rounding so you're always bringing your lower ribs closer to your hip bones and so you have that kind of arching so your muscles are already long from the pregnancy if you're always arching what can happen nothing there is no resistance as well it's like an elastic band on which you pull too much that is super kind of flappy mm -hmm. that's the same thing happening that's why posture work is very important and relevant to um, diastasis recti um, healing and so as far as for pelvic floor, as I said, I always you know, recommend all my clients to seek the help of a PT because I won't do anything internally. I won't touch your pelvic floor, even if we work together one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but still, what I do is really try to assess with you um, each muscle in your pelvic floor, see what you feel, if you are able to feel it, how they're reacting. It gives us a hint of what's going on. So you can go to your PT with that kind of information formation and from what we assess together we can work more on relaxation if there is an hypertonicity uh, or more on um, activation if we see it doesn't really respond and it's super weak so that's a part of uh, how I work um, as well wow that's awesome <laughs> and so uh, most of it is exercise and posture right absolutely and then and yeah, and I call that a recovery exercise because it has nothing to do with the type of exercises that you can do at the gym. Uh, we work a lot on isometric contraction, on uh, what I call um, intention exercise. So we imagine that we are doing a movement, but the movement is happening. And by doing that, we create super powerful contraction in the muscle. And so it helps really with the recovery process. And by doing that, we can really work on the posture at the same time. So we re-establish all those connections um, and it really helps for recovery. So that's why I'm calling it recovery exercises because there's no, um, it is very different from what you can do uh, in your gym class or whatever. But down the line, as we progress through the program, we add more and more exercises that can you know, look like what you were used to do. But now, because you know how to manage the intra-abdominal pressure, how to engage all the different layers of your abdominal muscles, you are able to do whatever you want. 
planks. It means if you love doing crunches, there is a way to do it way better than what we do. So we can learn that together as well. And, and then I add some exercises that looks like um, all the activities that you have to do as a new mom. So, you know, just holding your baby on your side or um, getting your little one from the bathtub to the changing mats, things like that, or just from the crib and in your arms. These are really like specific movements where you have to learn how to move with your hips and not like rounding the back. So we add those exercises after to get you stronger. And it's a lot of posture work as well. And just feel better in your everyday life and don't have to struggle with um, chronic back pain or, you know, that kind of thing that a lot of moms are unfortunately experiencing. Yeah. And so how many sessions do you usually suggest for somebody? Um, is it kind of, I mean, people ask me that all the time and I'm like, oh, it's such a mixed bag. Like it really depends on how you respond to what we're doing and all of that kind of stuff. So is it, is it similar in that way or is there a general recommendation? It is similar in that way. However, with my program, we start with six weeks, uh, especially when I work one-on-one. -on -one. When I have them doing the videos, it's a bit longer because I just want to make sure that we don't miss any step. When we work one-on-one, -on -one, I can personalize everything so it's more accurate to what they need. So I start with six weeks and usually we see results around the third to fourth week, which is super early, but still that's how it works. Especially when I I have my clients doing their homework, uh, you know, for 10 minutes a day on top of the two sessions that we do together weekly. Uh, so we start with that and at the end, we, we reassess. And if we feel like we can do a little more, we add a couple of sessions on top of it. But usually six weeks is, is, is the right spot to, to begin with. And then when could somebody begin working with you? Could it be, I mean, do you usually recommend for them to wait the six weeks after giving birth? And is it longer for a C-section or anything like that? No, in fact, you know, the ACOG, which is the um, Academy of Gynecologists, um, recommends now that a woman can start exercising again as soon as she feels like she's good with it. Uh, we don't have to wait for the six weeks anymore from their recommendation. And anyway, a lot is happening during that six weeks period. And you know that. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's how you work with your clients as well. So we can really take advantage of all of these changes from the beginning, as soon as they feel up for it mm -hmm. and start working on it. And especially because, as I said, these exercises are a lot, you know, based on breathing and very gentle activation and like all with all this kind of uh, intentional exercises, we can do a lot without having you move from one position to the other. Uh, most of it is, you know, on your back or on your side. So it's easy to do. But the most important is to listen to your body. How do you feel? You know, how, do you feel like you can do a little bit of exercise or do you feel you're still exhausted or do you feel like it's too painful to move? If you feel like that and if you feel it's overwhelming to add that kind of exercise program, maybe it's not the right time for you. You have to be prepared to do the work and to commit to it as well. It is very important. The sooner, the better. That's for sure. However, we can always work on that even months and years after, but the sooner, the better. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's good to know. Um, so yeah, at this point, if you can share about where people can find you, your website, Instagram, and then you can just talk about your podcast too a little bit. Absolutely. So um, yeah, so my website is bonjourbaby.net. So B-O-N-J-O-U-R-B-A-B-Y.net. <laughs> Easy to find. Um, you can find me mostly on Instagram at bonjourbaby.la. And so on my podcast, um, the Bonjour Baby podcast. So I love having ch uh, chat with guests like you and Holly came to the show already. Uh, so we talk about everything, postpartum recovery, mom life. We touch on on, on physical recovery, on nutrition, on uh, mental health. We, we touch on a lot of topics. So it's a great place to find some information about you know, what you're experiencing and find some uh, solutions too. Because sometimes we feel like there's no solution about what we're experiencing in that time when in fact there are a ton you just don't know about it. Yeah. And then you also mentioned your YouTube 
channel. Yes. Um, and so on there is, is it exercise videos or is it more information? It, it, there are some exercise videos. Um, I'm not super active on it. It just like, you know, I have like some kind of staple so that I send my, uh, my members of my Facebook group, for instance, I send them to those videos. Uh, you can also find the link. I, I will give it to you on the show notes of the Facebook group where I, I share a lot. Uh, I do talks and I do, um, um, exercises as well that are free uh, once a month um, and so yeah to answer your question yes it's mostly exercises on the YouTube on the YouTube channel cool okay great yeah I didn't know you had that so <laughs> um, so yeah and all of those links will be in the show notes so you can find them there um, any parting words that you would like to share no, thank you so much for having me today. Such a pleasure to be able to talk about postpartum recovery and share more you know, awareness about what we can do to help women go through that time. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing. You are invited to join my free Yoni Steaming offering that I will be hosting on Saturday, March 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific, which is 1 p.m. Eastern. So I will be teaching all about Yoni Steaming, what it is, in case you don't know, why you would use it, some precautions to be aware of when you're thinking about incorporating steaming, the materials you need to set up a steam, some things to consider about herbal selection, setting up a steam at home. I'll be walking you through the entire process, both a mild and an advanced steam setup, depending on your specific needs. And then I'll be getting in more specifically into some uses, um, painful periods, for example, working on fertility, labor preparation, postpartum steaming and the menopausal phase. And then there will also be some time at the end for your questions. So I would love to see you on Saturday, March 19th at 10 a.m. Pacific or 1 p.m. Eastern at my free Yoni steaming class. So if you're interested in joining, you can join my mailing list by visiting rosebudwellness.com and joining my mailing list there and it will be sent out to you. Or if you don't want to commit to joining my mailing list, you could also email me directly if you prefer at holly at rosebudwellness.com and I can send over the Zoom link to you directly. Hope to see you there. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified of future episodes as they're released. You can also find us over on Facebook at the Womb Wisdom Community. And also you can find out more information about the offerings that I have at my business, Rosebud Wellness, on my website, rosebudwellness.com. I offer acupuncture and Arvigo abdominal massage sessions in person in Thousand Oaks, California, which is in the Los Angeles area. And I also offer virtual Yoni Steam consults, if that's something that's interesting to you. And also you can find uh, the Yoni Steam Herb Blends that I offer on the Rosebud Wellness shop at rosebudwellness.com shop. So thanks again for listening. Till next time.